Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So we're going to start in verse 25 this morning of chapter 7, and I will be reading to the end of the chapter before Pastor Bob comes up and exposits it for us. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him. For I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. 
Anyways, okay, we've been going through the gospel according to John, and I want to I engender a little bit of confidence in you this morning. And so normally I come up with um, a piece of paper for my message, but do you see how thick the message is today? Marcia says, I thought we were leaving today early. And I said, well, you know, whatever, so bring lunch. Anyways, so I have been singing the memory verse song. We're going to close with the memory verse song. All week, I've been meditating on that verse all week. I was up all night Monday into Tuesday. I probably slept here and there, part of it, but just, I am excited, and you're not going to get half of what I have, because there's no way I can share all this with you. Um, And I don't know what part's going to not go, but hang on, okay? Because this is really, to me, if there's one, okay, so that's not true. I was going to say, if there's one portion of Scripture that's probably the most exciting, this is that there are lots of portions of Scripture that are really exciting. But this is probably one of those top 100 passages. How's that, okay? It can, I may even make it into the top, you know, two dozen. Um, if, but you have to really fully comprehend what's happening in, in, in chapter 7. Last week, um, we started looking at all this concept of the crisis of faith that that jesus brings the people to and even his brothers and and the people you know they're 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 struggling saying you know how can we make sense of all these things jesus had been declaring and displaying unequivocally that he's claiming to be messiah so it's really kind of fun we're going to see there in a moment you know these people saying can he be well he's saying he is and so you're really brought to the conclusion of, of, do I believe it or or don't I? And so, you know, can he be the Messiah? How does he know these things? I mean, this guy is just a son of a carpenter, a son of a craftsman. How does he know these things? How can he do what he's doing? I mean, it's not everybody that can, you know, feed 5,000 plus people from five loaves of bread and two fish. Sometimes we try, right? And God still does multiply, Okay. But if you ever led, you know, I'm thinking of you, David, you know, yesterday, you know, the, there's a little sweating going on, you know, when you're trying to, you know. It, for us, it's, it's, it's not that easy, is it? You know, we're thinking, oh, what, what do I get? For Jesus, it was like, guys, come on. What do you got? Five loaves, two fish? That's overkill. All right, let's use it. And in the end, they got what? Twelve baskets of leftovers. They had more leftovers than they had to start with. When's the last time that happened at your meal? Get it? And so the people are just left to this wondering, who is this guy? Well, in our passage today, they continue on with this, okay? This is part of the introduction still. If you're looking at sermon note sheets, this isn't part of the message. This is still just part of the, um, the introduction, the continuation, if you would, of this confrontation with the Jews in Jerusalem. We see in the beginning of, the, of our portion for this morning, verses 25 to 31, they're still asking the questions. Now, some of the, from Jerusalem said, Is this not whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the Messiah? I mean, they're filled with wonder. Like, look, we know that these guys are trying to kill him because of what he's saying and what he's doing, and yet they're not doing it. Have they come to the conclusion that he's Messiah? And then we see at the bottom, he says, when Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which he has done? And the answer is what? Probably not. 
because he's the guy, right? And so they're, they're, they're not sure what's going on. And then we drop down to verse 32 to 36, and where Jesus is talking about, he said, you know, a little bit, a little bit longer I'll be with you, and then I'm going to go away. And then they're like, well, where does he tend to go? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me, and you'll not find me. Where I, can, you, where I go, you cannot come. They're trying to figure out, is he going to be with the Greeks? Because they can't comprehend. Where did Jesus tell them that he came from? From the Father, which they would understand. So where did Jesus say that he came from? Heaven. I mean, you get it? I mean, that's what he's stating. He's claiming he came from heaven. And when he's done, where is he going to go? Back to heaven. But, but they're thinking, go back a couple messages, right? They're thinking earthly. They're thinking temporal, right? They're thinking physical. And this is mind-boggling to them. Because the reality is, I know where you all came from. You came from your mother's womb. Now, I don't know where your mother was at that moment, but I can tell you you came from your mother's womb. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're saying what? He came from his mother's womb. Isn't this the guy who's from Nazareth? Don't we know his mother? Don't we know his father? Don't we know his brother? Aren't they here with us? Where is this guy saying he's going to go? So from their perspective, it's like, he can't be talking about heaven. It just went straight over their heads. I love the song. Who is he? Who is Jesus? If I could read you my quiet time notes from this morning, I was going. I was in Colossians chapter one. In fact, let me let me just do that because it's just it's just real quick, just a, the very beginning of it. So this is I do the observations, I do my applications, and then a prayer response. So this is the beginning of my applications. Who is Jesus? Is he God? Is he a man in whom God empowered temporarily? How does deity and humanity of Christ blend? At what point is he God and at what point is he man? What does it mean that he was a firstborn of creation? Is he a created being and not God at all? That's my quiet time notes. You're like, ooh, that doesn't sound good for a pastor. Anyways, this is mind-boggling stuff. It is so hard for us to comprehend that other realm. That here's a guy who's fully human. But as we read in Colossians, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He was the icon. You used the Greek term this morning in Sunday school, Steve. I was, you know, he's the icon of the invisible God. There's the reason why he puts invisible in there is because you, no man has what? Seen God at any time. Who is Jesus then? He's the manifestation of God. How does that play out? Where is he going? What's he going to do? And then we go to the end of the, the chapter where it says, Therefore many of the crowd, from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly is the prophet. What the, the, That thing is going to be what we talk about in a moment. Others said, This is the Christ. But then some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David in the town of Bethlehem, where David was? You know, every time I read this passage, I stop and I say to myself, Why didn't they ask him? Where were you born? Because where was he born? He wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. He did fulfill this. He was born in Bethlehem. He just grew up in Nazareth. Do you get it? But everybody assumed something. Did you ever assume things and find out that you were wrong? This is a major point to get wrong. Because you assume something wrong. 
Does it make sense? And so Jesus did fulfill all the Messianic prophecies. In fact, we're not going to go there today, but Isaiah chapter 9 talks about how the people in Galilee saw a what? A great light. Zebulun, Naphtali, the lands of Zebulun, Naphtali. I mean, that's where he's from. Anyways, but they don't get it. They don't see it. So a division is caused by Jesus. Jesus said that I didn't come to, to bring peace. I actually caused the, I came to cause division, you know. And he did. There's this division going on over who is he. And then we see in verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man. And then there's Nicodemus who comes to him at nighttime, right? He's kind of defending him just a little bit here. He's still not sure how he's supposed to react to all this, right? But he says, wait a second, guys. Is it, is it according to the law to condemn somebody before we actually ask them questions? That we find out all this stuff? And so the leaders turn around and say, are you from Galilee too? In other words, they're what? Say again? They're insulting them in order to squash them, to silence them. Does that sound like the world today? They just want to squash. They want to squelch the voice. Don't let it be squelched. So this, this whole confrontation is going on. But the big portion of what's going on here is, is what Jesus says in verses 37 and 38. Did I get that right this time? I always mess up my, uh, my memory verse times. And um, where he says, if any man, what? Thirst, let him come to me. And in order to fully comprehend this, we need to understand the rest of the setting that all this is going on. And that is the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? And so we want to we look at the, the importance of the feast in, in general. And then I want to look at, secondly, um, as a, this is only a sub-point, the, the importance of the final day in particular. And then we're going to look at the significance, not just of the occasion, but of Jesus' declaration. Okay? Because this is huge. So hang on. We're going to fly through this. Okay? First of all, it's establishment, the season of, um, of its establishment. We know from Leviticus 23 that it is, uh, begins on the 15th day of the seventh month. So this is during the season, if you would, of, of the harvest, at the end of the harvest. Okay, We have a, a special holiday um, where we kind of celebrate what God has given to us. What do we call that? Thanksgiving. So in a sense, this is almost like a, a Thanksgiving-ish kind of holiday, okay? But there's more to it for them, as we're going to see as we go on. But this is the season of it. And so um, it's the 15th day of the seventh month, and it's a, this is kind of fun, it's a seven-day feast that actually has eight days. Okay? So it's a seven-day feast that actually goes for eight days. Okay? Now, the sanctification of, of this feast, we see in Leviticus 23 as well, from that same port, that we see that the first day there should be a holy convocation. Now, a holy convocation is a special Shabbat, a special Sabbath. So, every week on, on the seventh day of the week, it is a weekly Shabbat, a weekly time of rest. But a holy convocation is a High Sabbath, if you would, okay? It is an extra special time for the people to, to be meditating upon God. And so on the first day of Sukkoth, or Tabernacles, they weren't supposed to do any work. None at all. They're supposed to be totally having a rest. 
a rest and a focus on God. And then you see, on the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation. Kind of fun for a seven-day feast, right? That on the eighth day, you're going to have a holy convocation. So the way to liken this for you is that we have Passover. Yes, everybody understands Passover. But then right after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. How long is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Seven days. How long is Passover? One day. But as you read the word sometimes, you're going to find that a Passover is an eight-day feast. But it's not an eight-day feast. Passover is one day. The rest of it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so some places um, you're going to read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Sometimes you're going to read about the Feast of Passover. Sometimes you're going to read about it being eight days. Some days you're going to read about it one day. Sometimes you're going to read about it being just a preparation day. Because actually the, 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 the Feast of Passover became the preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because they were getting rid of all their, their leaven. Make sense? So, so you've got to kind of understand the, the Jewish concept of what's all going in here. Okay, So there's a seven-day feast. But at the end of the seven-day feast, there's going to be this great day. That's going to come out of all this seven days of wanderings. And we're going to have this eighth day where it's almost like its own feast. But it's going to be the, the high and great day of all this. And so you see that in John 7, okay? It's really what's happening, okay? And so you can see the first day shall be a Sabbath rest on the eighth day of Sabbath rest, okay? And so that's that holy convocation that's there. And also in the sanctification of it that they're going to do something special, So the word sanctification means to set something apart, okay? So this is a set-apart time frame. So it's set apart as a holy convocation. It's holy, holy, holy. But it's also going to be set apart where during that feast, you're supposed to go out and you're supposed to get palm branches and willow branches and all these kind of things, and you're supposed to make for yourself a booth, okay? Like a tent, if you would, made out of foliage, and you are supposed to live in it. You're supposed to dwell in those booths. Notice what it says here. You're supposed to dwell in the booths, okay, during the, during the time of this feast, okay? Um, Nehemiah, this is kind of sad, actually. I, I almost didn't put it in here because of time, but I wanted to put it in here because this is huge, okay? Application-wise, I don't have time to get into it, but read, read what's happening here. This is Nehemiah. So Nehemiah came after the, the Babylonian exile, Yes? Okay, we understand time frame there, okay? So, so Leviticus was law, Moses, right? So we have hundreds of years later, Nehemiah, okay? And they found written in the law, which Yahweh had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go out into the mountain, bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees, to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them, and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or in the court of the house of God. This is good so far, isn't it? This is kind of exciting. Okay? And in the open square of the water gate, and the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. Do you feel the weight of that? We just read from Leviticus 23. It's pretty clear, wasn't it? I mean, I don't think there was any kind of, God was pretty clear. Yahweh said, this is what I want you to do. You're going to have this 
seven, eight-day feast, and it's going to be set apart and sanctified. And one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to go make yourself booths. And you're going to dwell in those booths during the entire time of this feast. But then all of a sudden, Moses dies. Joshua takes them into the land, and they become distracted. Does anybody remember the Shema? Where is it at? Deuteronomy chapter 6. What verses? Uh, no, five, six, no, no, no. Where does it start? It starts at verse four. See, we think of five because that's where it says, love, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. I mean, that's important to us. But it actually starts at verse four. Shema Yisrael, Eloheinu, Elanai, Eloheinu, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You've got to have a proper faith. Coming out of the proper faith, then, you said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts and you shall teach them diligently to your children whether you're sitting in the house whether you're walking away whether you're lying down or whether you're sitting up you should put them as a sign upon your hands you should put them as a frontlet between your eyes you should write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates that's verses four to nine and most people would say that's the shema and it is but it's kind of like quoting ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine david you mentioned this morning what's the problem with that there's a verse 10. Somebody go to Deuteronomy 6 for me and read verse 10. Wait, 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 wait. Let me come closer to you so, so it, it can be on the tape too. Go ahead. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees where you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourselves, lest you be forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Do you get that? You guys are going to go into a land that you didn't, you didn't do anything. You're going to, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're, you're, going to, you're going to be eating from fruit trees that you didn't plant. You're going to be drinking from wells that you didn't dig. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to forget. What happened? They forgot. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until, the, until that day, they had not done so. And there was then great gladness. When they did what God wanted them to do, it ended with great joy. There was great gladness. Now, one thing that you we don't see here but for the jewish mind and you can go out and check it out and do a big study on this okay that there is no joy necessarily in passover there is remembrance there is joy in shavuot it's declared once but for the feast of shavuot for the feast of tabernacles in gathering it is listed three times that we're supposed to be joyful so for them they understood that this of all the feasts was supposed to be the most joyful of the feasts so, part of that was living in the booth. As a reminder of what God had done for them. So, today, they do that. Okay? Isn't this kind of fun? This is in the, you can see the Hasidic individual there. Okay? And so this is in the, 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 that portion in Jerusalem. But note the, the, the booths all over the place. This is during that. This guy, I'm not quite sure, man. He's got, I mean, this thing is like really built... 
Yes, yeah. Not like having your own sakhas on the third, third floor. Anyways, at least these guys are going thin here, you know? But he's, no, no, he's, he is super holy. He's out there. So, anyways, um, but in, in, in our realm, this is what it's going to look like, okay? That you're going to see people with something like this, and they may even have, buy one of those academy sports easy ups and put the, the um, uh, what do you call it, the, the wraps around it, okay? And then, sadly, they're going to go out and they're going to eat their meals there. But then they're going to what? Sleep in the house and do everything else in the house. But they're going to eat. Because, again, legalistically, they're going to fulfill the... Ah, not the law. Not the leaving the letter. They're going to fulfill the tradition. They're going to fulfill the rabbinic interpretation. Don't worry about what I'm telling you. Worry about what God tells you. I hope to tell you, teach you truth. But check me out on everything. Do you get it? Don't follow Bobisms. I had a guy years ago, we used to meet at a Burger King. No, it wasn't Steve. This is way before Steve. And this guy pulled out his, his Palm Pilot. That tells you how long ago, right? And he started quoting me Bobisms. I thought, we got to, this is pretty bad. Anyways, don't do that. Worry about what God says. Do you get it? Anyways, so sanctification. Sacrifices. So we read on day one to seven. Remember I told you it's a seven day with an eight day. Woohoo! At the end, right? So day one to seven, you got two rams, 14 lambs, a grain offering with each of the animal offerings, a drink offering for the bulls. And on the first day, there were 13 bulls. 13. And then every day, there was six, one less. So on the seventh day, there were seven bulls. So 13, day, 13 bulls on the first day, 12 bulls on the second day. But on the eighth day, there's only one bull, one ram, seven lambs, one goat as a sin offering with the grain and drink offering for each of them. Okay? So there's a whole lot of sacrifices going on, right? But note, there's a huge distinction on, on the eighth day. It's a different day. They're not dropping down to six. Dropping down to one. Totally different day. It's the great day. Okay? The setting. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 to 17, we read that seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Yahweh your God in the place which Yahweh chooses. And then we see again down at the bottom, uh, verse 16, we'll come to the three times in a moment, but three times a year, all your meals shall appear before Yahweh your God in the place which he what? Chooses. So the place which he chooses or the place which he chose was Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was the place that Abraham offered up Isaac, okay? We know that because it, he said he went into the land of Moriah, right? But then we find out that it is also the threshing floor of Arauna, okay? The threshing floor of Arauna was where David, remember David um, numbered the census and, and God came and he, he uh, judged Israel because of that and he gave David three options, of what his punishment would be. And so David chose to fall into the hand of God for three days. Remember? Okay. And then God came with the death angel, like he did in Egypt, but he brought that through through Israel. And there was great death and dying um, in, in Israel. And David was just overwhelmed because this was a result of his personal sin. Think about that. I don't have time to get into that. But thousands of people are dying because of his personal sin consequence 
And so he's grieving and he's crying out to God. And God allows him to see the death angel as it was coming over to the threshing floor of Arauna. And God tells him through the prophet Gad that he can go and he can offer up an offering to God. And he can bring up the atonement and appeasement to God to stop the, um, the killing. And so he goes to, to Arauna, and Arauna says, no, 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 it's just yours, man. I'm not going to sell you anything. He says, no, yeah, no, no, I am not taking a freebie out of this one. This is my sin. There's a cost to it. You, I'm buying this thing for a real cost. And so then they, they at, so at the threshing floor of Arauna, they put the altar there, and they make the offerings. That threshing floor of Arauna, we're told in the Chronicles, is Mount Moriah, and it is also then the place where the Temple Mount would be established. In fact, where it is the place which is called the foundation stone, okay, which the very Holy of Holies would have been built upon. In that place, that, that the Holy of Holies was about 23 feet above the rest of the temple. You actually had to go up to get to the, the temple part, the actual final part, okay? And you can research this with Josephus in different places, okay? And so it was up above it. Chuck, I'm not sure whether you've seen it or not. You might have seen this. Steve, you might have seen this. Ready? Where is that? Anybody know where that's at? It's in the Dome of the Rock. Yeah, that's, this is a mosque. This is the um, Islamic um, place on the top of the Temple Mount. Uh, it's called Dome of the Rock. That's the rock. The foundation stone. That is believed to be the spot where Abraham offered up Ishmael. Well, okay, so not Ishmael. That's what the Muslims believe. That's why they put it there. It's where... Abraham offered up Isaac. It is also then the threshing floor of Arauna. It is also then the, the foundation stone where the Holy of Holies would have been built. Now, I, you watch all over the news right now. There are people who want the temple to go up, and they don't believe the Dome of the Rock can be removed, and so they're trying to justify a different location for the temple. Okay, But through the histories, through the centuries... It has been well understood that this is the foundation stone. Okay? So we read about this okay, in one of the Mishnahs. Okay? From, this is one of the, the Roman era. So this is back from 300-400 AD. Okay? Or they would call um, CE, the Christian era. As the navel was set in the center of the human body, so is the land of Israel, the navel of the world. Situated in the center of the world, and Jerusalem is the center of the land of Israel. In the sanctuary in the center of Jerusalem, in the holy place in the center of the sanctuary. In the ark in the center of the holy place, in the foundation stone before the holy place. Because from it the world was founded. Do you know what else they, the Jewish people believed? That this is the Garden of Eden. That this is the, the actual place where God created all things. And so when you look at the four rivers that proceed out of the garden, they would have proceeded from here. Now this is really kind of exciting from the perspective that they also believe that this navel stone is also that which seals the depths of the, the waters from the deep from bursting forth. Think about that. When, and we'll talk about this very briefly. Okay, This is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Okay, But in the millennium, What's going to proceed from the throne, which is basically standing, sitting on top of this foundation stone? Water. Water. 
that's going to be proceeding out of the top of a mountain. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Normally when you kind of think of springs, they're kind of down a little bit lower, water aquifers to it, and then they come out. But this is water that's bursting forth from the top, not lava, not a, not a, uh, um, a volcano, but water. How fun is this, right? So, um, it's also then a memorial. So the establishment, now the memorial side of it, okay? So there are things that they, when they did this, that they were going to be remembering. First of all, there's the provision of, of the, or I'm sorry, the presence of God. We'll get the provision in a second. The presence of God. And so um, as they went through the, the wilderness, God appeared to them as a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. So when the pillar, and it was always over the tabernacle of meeting, Okay, and so when the when the pillar arose, the people what? They they followed. They broke their tents and they and they went. When the when the when the pillar of, of, of smoke stopped, they stopped. Okay, and this pillar of fire by night and pillar of smoke by day was called the Shechinah Kabod. Okay, the tabernacling glory of God. It was Shekinah glory. You've heard that. So the Shechinah Kabod. Okay, it's the tabernacling glory of god this is important okay and so when they have this tap feast of tabernacles they are ultimately remembering that god tabernacled with them okay his presence was there and so in the the temple see all these big uh fire uh candles type thing they had these huge fires that would go up to remind them to 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 represent um, that that God was in that pillar. So when we get to chapter 8, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, don't forget this, okay? Because it, we're going to be there in two weeks. But this whole thing is going on. Make sense? Jesus is blowing their socks off. You want to know who I am? I'm, I'm going to tell you unequivocally who I am. Make sense? And they got to figure it out, okay? And so, so the presence of God. And secondly, the provision of God. That we see, first of all, in the provision of manna. I'm not going to go there. We talked about that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? But he talked about how God provided the manna, and they would remember that throughout. But the, more importantly, one of the things that they would focus on is the provision of water, okay? Um, water is the sustenance of life. You think about it. Um, you need uh, minimum bread and water. So when somebody's in jail, the minimum that they're going to give somebody is what? Bread and water. They're going to, in order to, to, to have sustenance, in order to survive, okay? But water is crucial for us. We can, we can go without food for a longer period of time than we can go without water, okay? And so water was a source of life to them. And when you live in a desertish kind of area, it's important to get your water, okay? And so, um, I don't remember with Steve, it was you... Did you pray and thank God for the latter rains and the former rains or whatever? Yeah. And so I thought it was pretty cool. You didn't know what I was getting ready to preach on. But this is exactly what this Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Okay? I mean, now they're looking forward to the rains. They need the latter rains to be preparing the earth. And so they're praying to God. They're, they're thanking God for the provision that he's given. But they're also praying to God and asking him for, for the rain to be able to come. Water was so huge. And so... Um, yeah, let me get to this because I'm going to let me come through. So first of all, the, the, the provision of God of water, 
in the wilderness via the rock. Now, I want to spend more time on it, but I don't have time. So I got to cut someplace, and this is a place I'm cutting, and it's awful. Anyways, but that going through twice, twice, God had Moses first strike the rock. Second time, he was supposed to speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock twice, and he got in trouble for that. He couldn't go into the promised land, right? But twice, water spewed forth from the rock in order to give the people liquid to drink how much water do you think a million and a half people need a lot a lot i i often wonder what it looked like when mont hoar starts spurting out water but then i started thinking this week i wonder if it's going to be like the throne maybe it wasn't just this big gusher came out Maybe it did start coming out like a spring. And then the further it got, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. When we get to Ezekiel, you'll see that. How it just, it begins to, to grow. When coming, I mean, there's not a massive river that's coming out from the throne, is it? In the millennium. There's just a spring that comes out. But as it goes on, you're going to see it. This is so exciting. I mean, Ezekiel walks a thousand paces and all of a sudden it's up to his ankle. He walks a thousand paces. I'm, gonna, I'm doing it ahead of time. He walks a thousand paces it's up to his knees. He walks a thousand paces it's up to his thighs. He walks a thousand paces and he can't walk it anymore. All you can do is swim in it. Where'd the rest of the water come from? It's exciting stuff. God's able to do what is um, beyond our comprehension. But from this flint of a rock, and you can read the other verses that I have on your sermon note sheet. I got a bunch on there that we're not going to. That from this flint of the rock, water just comes forth, okay? Then in the millennium via the throne, here we go, I knew I was coming to it because there was a transition coming into it, that this water starts coming out, okay? And, and we see it in the book of Ezekiel. It's just so amazing how it comes out. And so they're, they're knowing these things, okay? Remember, I mean, they, they know, read this from Moses. They, they read this in the prophets. They know this. And so in the memorial, they would have this special thing of drawing of water um, where they would... Um, I have a picture somewhere in here. Is it next? No. Anyways, we'll get to it in a moment. Um, but where they would have this huge water libation, okay, where they would send um, the, the priests down to get the water from the pool of Siloam and another pool. My mind's blanking right on me right now. And they would bring them back and they would pour them upon, with, with wine then on the final great day um, onto the, the, these, these sacrifices. Remember we talked about in each one of them had their drink offering? Okay, so they would make this big, huge thing out of this thing where they would have their drink offering because it was a matter of remembering that God was the one who provided them the water. God was the one who provided them. And so here they are pouring it out. It's kind of like David. Remember when, when uh, he wanted water from the well and they brought him the water from the well and what did he do with it? He poured it out. It was like a drink offering. I mean, if you're one of the guys who just risked their life to go get water from the well, you're thinking, what an idiot. But he's saying, God, I, lo- I want you more than I want even this water. How cool is that? That's the idea of this thing, is that they're pouring out this valuable liquid. We think that's just water, really. Think about what it's like if you're out and you're living on a well. Do you have well water or, or city water? Ah, yeah. Anybody on well water? Well water, oh yeah. How Are, are you looking forward to the day when the kids flush the toilet too much? Anyways, um, for real, I mean, I know Marsha's dad... Um, we have to worry about that when we go out there, you know. And so this week, there's going to be a lot of us out there at the end of the week. And so that's going to be one of these things. Like, hey, you know, you don't 
flush erroneously. You don't, you know, you just don't use up when you go take a shower. It's like a five minute shower. That's a killer for, for, for girls, isn't it? Anyways, you're in and you are out. There's like only use water to rinse off because when the well was dry, you're out of water. That's it. Yeah, you can't manufacture water. That's all. So, so they get it. So they're doing all this thing, okay? Now, it's mandate. i got to keep moving fast here. So the mandate, okay, is three times a year. So the Israelite, there's three times a year that they were supposed to come, okay? Um, to the nations, Zechariah is very clear that they are not coming for Easter, Resurrection Day. They're not coming for Christmas, the, the Feast of the Incarnation. There is one time a year that all the nations are supposed to come to Jerusalem. Feast of Tabernacles. Sachath. And it is to remember God's dwelling upon the earth. Who will be the king? Who's going to be the king that day? Jesus. Yahweh in the flesh. And every nation is going to have to come in order to declare that Yahweh is reigning on the earth. And that's Jesus. How cold is that? And that's here in Zechariah. This is Old Testament prophecy. And they're recognizing these. The, the, the people understand it, but they're not putting it all together. It's just an amazing thing. Ah, here's my pictures. So the importance of the final day in particular, okay, on the last day, the great day of the feast. And so when they have this huge thing, they have this procession coming down, and they're, and they're gathering the water, okay, and they'd be blowing their trumpets and all this kind of stuff. And they would, they would grab the water, and they would go up on this eighth day, because there's this one bull, right? Not all these other bulls. So they would have the water libations, but this one, this is a special one. And they would have two sides coming down and wine would be poured into the one side and water would be poured into the other side and the blood and the water would join. It's kind of cool if you think about it. They're not thinking about it, but it's really kind of cool, the imagery that God was even working in this stuff. Okay, And think about it, that's not even in the Bible. They added it themselves. It's really kind of fun. I could go on on a rabbit trail. But anyways, but so this is all playing out, right? And so they had this whole thing and people would come and they are watching this thing. And you got the, again, this light that's going up and the, the pillar of, 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 of light, the a pillar of fire that's going up to re- represent. And it's in the middle of all this then, this significance of this occasion, of this very last day when everything is heightened. This is a, a, a holy convocation and everybody is heightened to what is going on in, in the thralls of worshiping Yahweh for who he is and what he has done. I mean, you've got to place yourself in, in this situation. You're the Jew and, and you're there. You've come from all over the place for this moment because remember, this is one of the three feasts. You've got to come, right? And this is the height of the whole thing you've gone through seven days of this stuff and here you're on the eighth day and this is it man this is the bull offering and 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 all the water and right in the middle of that jesus says hey if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink if anyone thirsts let him come to me you're a jew what did you just hear Who's giving you water? God. Who's been giving you water? God. Who are you praying to to give you water? To, 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 to take care of your thirsts? God. And Jesus stands up in the middle of this whole thing. And he says, hey, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. 
as the scripture has said. Out of his heart, out of his cholea, out of his womb, out of his abdomen shall flow rivers of living water. That's pretty, pretty bold. He just called himself Yahweh. I'm God. I'm here. I'm in your midst. So this recognition, first of all, of the need. If anyone thirsts, in order to come, you got to what? you got to know that you're what? You're thirsty. Marsha and Anna work on me with that. Anna, so when I'm working out back, it's Anna's function, apparently. Probably as a, as a, a messenger of, of my wife to, say again? Yeah, by proxy. To bring me a drink. <laughs> and say, Dad, you need to drink. In other words, you're not recognizing it, but you are thirsty. <laughs> you need to drink. Isn't that sad? Because if you don't drink, what's going to happen? You're going to fall off. That's not a good thing when you're 20 feet up on a, on a ladder. Falling out because you're, you know, you're, you're dizzy doesn't work well. And so there's a point where you need to know that you're what? You got a need. Okay? You got to be thirsty. Okay? There's a lot of passages you can read in your, in your sermon note sheet. Okay? But then there's a second thing is the recognition of the Savior. This is an invitation. Let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am your thirst quencher. Forget Gatorade. Forget Powerade. I'm the thirst quencher. If you're thirsty, come to me. And drink. And then he, um, oh, recognition saver. I forgot I have some verses here. Good. I'm glad I have them on here. I thought it blew past it. So this is to force me to do it. Isaiah 12, 2 to 6. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, Yahweh, is my strength and song. He also has become my what? Salvation. Do you realize this? So Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, the Hallel, was read all the time through the tabernacles, okay? And so I don't have time to get into Psalm 18, 118 on it, but it, that's just so powerful in there. Um, in Psalm 114. But this also was quoted as well. Isaiah 12, okay, was recognized in, in this whole thing, okay? So Yah, Yahweh is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So all of this is being quoted by the rabbis during this whole thing. And Jesus stands up and he says it. He says, I'm the guy. I, I am the one that you're going to draw from to get salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise Yahweh, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention of his name, um, is exalted, sing to Yahweh, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And there he was. He was fulfilling it. I don't have time to get into Haggai here. You see it's long. But what's exciting about it is, look in verse 1. It says, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month. What day is that? The seventh month, 21st day. Do some quick math. It's the seventh day of tabernacles. Yeah, it's not on the great day, but it's the final day, right? And look what he says is going to happen on this final day. As he talks about it, he says, so... 
they're, so they're having tabernacles. They're celebrating tabernacles. And, and this is the, the new temple, which has, doesn't hold a shadow to the Solomonic temple. And he says to him, he says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who has saw the temple in its former glory? In other words, you see this one, but you remember what? You remember that other one. And this holds no, no candle to that thing. And you're weeping and you're sad about this because this is, this is sad. He says, and how do you see it in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing, right? But he says, but hang on because I'm going to honor this thing like I never honored the Solomonic temple. It says, once more in a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations and they shall come to desire of all nations. That's not talking about a place. That's talking about a person. Think back to the Abrahamic covenant. What was part of the promise to Abraham? And in you, all the nations, the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with what? Glory. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. In this place, I will give peace. And so, again, this is all going on for this Jewish mind. They get it, okay? So, I got to fly. In his, pro- his final promise, though, he says then, he says, He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The impact of the statement. Again, Isaiah 58, verse 11 says, Yahweh will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strength your bones. You shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not, what? Fail. That when you come to Jesus, believing, if you really believe that he meant what he says, you will never, what? thirst you will be like the tree that is planted by the rivers of water whose leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper why because the roots your roots are going to be tapped in to that water of life you will never thirst rather the opposite side is going to be you will become you will become what Say that? Like a water garden, but you're going to become the source. Out of you is going to flow rivers of living water. Isn't that kind of exciting? If you come to me and you drink of the water of life, think about the, the woman at the well, right? That whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never what? Will never thirst again. If you drink from the waters that I want to give you, not only will you then not thirst yourself, but you will be able to be that toward others. And this is where we talk about Ezekiel, and I'm not going to go through it again since I already did, about how the waters continue to grow. It became, continues to become great. So the application of that then comes to us in Proverbs 18. It says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. James 3 tells us, For every kind of beast of bird and reptile, the creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing my brethren these things ought not to be so does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening can a fig tree my brethren bear olives or a grapevine bear figs thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh 
If you have been filled with the living water of Jesus Christ, what ought to flow out of you? Life. And you can look at Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 and different passages that I put in there. But that from us ought to be flowing forth. And it's the, the word heart isn't the word cardia there. It's the word koilia, which is literally your abdomen, your belly, your womb, your innermost being, down depths in who you are is going to just pour forth the water of life. I don't have time to go there. And so I didn't put it up there. But where is the tabernacle of God today? Okay, David, say it louder. Say it real loud. In us. us. You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. Get it? Where's the Holy of Holies right now? It's in your heart, man. It's in your innermost being. Now, I get it. It's in heaven. But you get what what God's telling us in His Word, right? If you are the temple, that means the Holy of Holies is in you. What's pouring out from underneath that throne? Is it river of life? Is it bringing health? Is it, is it medicinal? Is it, is it working benefit to others? Or are you destroying people with it? If you know Him, get it. Piece of tabernacles, man. You're living it. You are it. That's why it is the only feast that all the nations have got to come to. You are a walking feast of tabernacle. You're the light of the world. <laughs> a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Pouring forth from you ought to be the rivers of life. You are the Jesus that the world needs to see. Now, I get it. You've got to point them to the real Jesus. But you get what I'm saying? I think if we just grasp what Jesus is saying here, and we really believe, really believe, it would transform like the early church transformed the world. So who's Jesus to you? Is he Yahweh incarnate? Now you can say yes. That's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it mean to you? What changes has happened to you? What impact does that make? Does he live in you? How does it change you? Are you thirsting for something? And have you found that nothing in the world can quench it? <laughs> Come to Jesus. I mean, I got to believe there's probably somewhere in here, one of you really aren't real. I'm not saying who you are. Maybe it's me. You get what I'm saying? I hope we all are. I hope we're all real. I hope the rapture came right now. This place is empty. But are you? God knows. Does it make sense? Rapture happens right now. Are you still sitting here? That's a, that's a bad spot to be in. Come to Jesus. What is flowing out of you? Are there rivers of life flowing from the depths of your life? That's a pretty good indicator, right? I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect. But it's a pretty good indicator of whether you know the source and wellspring of life, whether you are pouring forth what he pours forth. 
Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, again, I'm grateful to you for who you are and what you've revealed about yourself. Lord, I am just overwhelmed with everything um, of this whole Feast of Tabernacles and how you tabernacled among us. And I, the, the whole concept of the triunity is is just mind-boggling to me, Lord. I, I just can't lie about that. And um, to think about this guy named Jesus who is the fullness of God bodily is just, is just hard. And yet it's true. God, I pray that you would help me to magnify you at all times and not stop marveling, not stop being in amazement of who you are. I am just so full of awe, um, of the wonder. <laughs> Even what was before Genesis 1-1? God, you just are cool. And... Uh, you overwhelm me. And I just pray that we would never be unoverwhelmed, un Lord. Help us to go forth. Help us to pour forth rivers of, of life um, out of the depths of our being, Lord. That it, coming out of our mouth, truly, Lord, there would be words of life and not words of death. In Christ's name, amen.